What's up, NBA fans? The Second Stringers NBA podcast. First round is done and over with. The defending champions, the Los Angeles Lakers, were eliminated by the Phoenix Suns. They're done and out. And now we're headed into the second round. We got Jazz, Clippers, Suns, Nuggets, Nets, Bucks, Sixers, and Hawks. A lot of these series are well underway. Just minutes uh, before hitting record here, we saw the the Utah Jazz go back and forth with the LA Clippers. What an exciting game, Sean. I think uh, before we jump into it, quick reactions to this game. We saw Utah go up to a huge lead. Clippers mount back, take the lead, and then you get some big threes from Boji and Joe Ingles. And that might have been the punch right there and a couple crazy layups from Donovan Mitchell. No surprise there, doing what he does best. <laughs> what What's going on here, man? This was quite the game, though. Yeah, and it's just business as usual, right, for the Clippers. Go down 2-0, and then the series starts for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- it was very admirable, I'll say, to watch us come back from a 21-point lead and be able to take the lead at one point in the fourth quarter. I, I was convinced Utah was just going to run away with this one, but we fought hard on their home mm-hmm. floor. And so I'm, I'm just going to say it before we get into a few of these quick thoughts, that this series is not over. This series, no, just like I with the Dallas so. one, people are going to call the Clippers out. This series is not over yet. Yeah, it feels different than the beginning of that Dallas series where it really felt like one guy was taking down the entire Clipper team. But I think somewhere game game five, game six, the Clippers really started showing signs of the talented team that we knew they could be. There was more more playing time being distributed around different guys and Paul George was hitting, knocking down his shots. And I think just the fact that the Clippers came back from this lead, came back, Dallas threw their best punch back, and then the Clippers still managed to get a somewhat small lead in the fourth quarter. So I don't think it's over. No, I'm excited to see this go back to Staples and see what the Clippers got. Yeah, me too. Me too. But first of all, we got to touch on this guy really quick, Nikola Jokic, Mm -hmm. officially now winning the NBA MVP. Alan, did he have your vote? Of course, he had my vote. He had my vote <laughs> last year. Last summer, I thought he was going to be... I didn't know if he was going to actually win the MVP, but I knew he was going to be up there. I was, I've been a huge Jokic believer. I mean, you know this, Sean, for, for like the last three years. I can't. I don't know if there's anybody who was truly a Jokic believer from day one. I'm not sure there, I believe anybody. But I think for the last several years, some of us who have been watching his game closely, I have... We knew there were signs here that he, at the very least, was on his way to being a top five player in the league. Just because of the things he could do uh, and just the things he did do in the playoffs starting two years ago, that Portland series, and then obviously last year, had a rough regular season, but in the playoffs at the bubble, really put it together. And he just came out gunslinging right away from day one in this season, this season, I don't it seems boneheaded to think he's not the MVP I think he he I think he had it locked in I think well into at the beginning of March perhaps I think it was a close race between him and Embiid but even the even with the injury to Embiid I think Jokic had the upper hand and I'm pretty pretty proud of this dude excited to see his name there lowest drafted MVP the first center since the 2000 MVP award was given to Shaq in that 2000, in that 99, 2000 season. Um, Nikola Jokic, well-deserved. Uh, I, I'm excited to see what this guy does together. I'm just a little upset that he didn't do it last year when I really thought he was going to do it. Instead, he did it this year. Yeah. And he, instead this year I had Luca who seemed like the overwhelming favorite, but I knew it was Jokic, but didn't fall into my hands on in fantasy draft, but still shout out to this guy. I'm glad to see he's the MVP. I totally agree with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people do agree with it, but there was still some speculation among a lot of analysts that are like, Steph Curry deserves MVP. Joel Embiid deserves MVP. And then apparently one guy thinks Derrick Rose deserves MVP. <laughs> Who gave that guy a vote? First of all, like, does this guy, is he just a troll? Or is he just doing it know. for for the I don't know the memes? Guys that are doing it for the memes should not official get official MVP votes. You can say it on your podcast, you can say it on your blog, 
Like, don't actually put in an official MVP <laughs> vote for Derrick Rose, dude. This is just so stupid. <laughs> Derrick Rose got more, I mean, because it's a ranking system and he got an actual first place vote. He technically had more points in, uh, towards the MVP award than LeBron did since LeBron didn't get a single first place vote. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then so a lot stupid. of guys. It's so <laughs> stupid. Like, who, who gave this guy a vote? Like, can we, are we allowed to know who voted for Derrick Rose? Can we take his vote away? Like, I don't for think... next year? Like, this guy should not have a vote. Yeah, I agree. And on that note, too, Julius Randle somehow got a vote. I mean, I love Julius Randle, but. He should not be getting an MVP yeah. vote. You can get a first place. You can give him a second or a third if you really like him that much. But yeah, it's just, it's silly. Like, what are we doing? Like, people have these weird philosophies that they just conjure up in their own <laughs> fantasy worlds. And it, it just makes life harder for the rest of us. Just get over yourself and vote for Jokic. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he did overwhelmingly win it. This was just like a penny. This doesn't make any sense. It's it's like, how many people write in like Alan Cuevas for president, right? I mean, (laughs) I should, but (laughs) it's like, it's just a waste. Like, why is he even letting this guy vote? (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Silly, silly things happen when you look at that MVP breakdown and you see who actually got votes and Jake Rose was definitely one of those that stood out. Randall was another one that stood out. Two New York Knicks somehow getting MVP votes. Yeah. I total, think Stephen total, A. Smith had total. a vote. That's probably what happened here. Oh, I, I got to believe he, <laughs> not even he would be that big of a homer and yeah. give it to or Rose. They give, they, they had a, somehow give Spike Lee a vote. <laughs> yeah, it had to have been some New York beat writer. Like, that's the only way. <laughs> Unreal, yeah. man. Yeah. Unreal. Anyways, the New York Knicks that did get dessert. I mean, this one's arguable. I think, Arguable. but Tom Thibodeau Very. gets coach of the year. I got to be honest, like this came out of left, total left yeah. field for me. I did not see. I thought Monty Williams mm-hmm. might have, should have been a finalist here. Maybe, maybe, um, I don't know. Mike Malone, Rick Carlisle, um, Quinn Snyder had a big case mm-hmm. for his, for him as well. Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers, yeah, Doc Rivers, new coach, taking over a, a core a core core set of players who've kind of underperformed the last few years. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau is a surprise for me. I mean, he not to say he didn't do a great job. He definitely did. He proved a lot of people wrong. Uh, a lot of preseason rankings. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel very good about this one. Yeah, no, I think I'm totally with you. Monty Williams should have been easily the coach of the year this mm-hmm. year I, I think this is definitely big market bias coming into play is new yeah. york being the big market they get all the attention they have a bunch of fans and then you have the phoenix suns who are a smaller market team and they don't have the same fan base as new york and so less people voted for them even though they monty williams this guy, he came into this program two years ago. This Phoenix Suns franchise was in shambles. Devin Booker was threatening to leave. He was like, I'm sick of not making the playoffs. And they bring in Monty Williams, and they they almost make it in a, in a seemingly impossible bubble format where they just got invited on a whim, and they almost made it to the playoffs. And then this year, you get Chris Paul, you get the second seed, and now you're up 2-0 in the second round against the Denver Nuggets with the MVP on their team. And you take down the defending champions. And you take down the defending champions. And I know, I know playoffs don't really come into account for a lot of these awards, but, I mean, they were still the number two seed, and this is a team that has not made the playoffs in a very long time. And obviously you can say the same thing New York. They haven't made it since, what, like 2013, since the Carmelo Anthony prime era, you could say. And sure, they they were seen as a, as a very deep lottery team that got the four seed. And that's really good. They had a good regular season, but the Phoenix Suns still had a better regular season. Mm-hmm. And to me, that should really speak volumes. And I just, I, I really think it's big market bias. I really do. I think... It, they're just looking at it just straight from like, oh, like they they were projected to be like the worst team in the league and then they made the playoffs, which is great. But if the Phoenix Suns and the New York Knicks were swapped and the New York Knicks were like the two seed in the West and the Suns were the four seed, I think that Tom Thibodeau would still win the coach of the year. Like, yeah. I, I think it's big market bias. I think so. And I'm always 
I always don't know why this doesn't come up, but not only do I think the Phoenix Suns had a better regular season, I think they capitalized on a more difficult regular season than the New York Knicks. Just mm-hmm. the fact they're in the Western Conference, they were in the Pacific yeah. Division. I mean, it, like the the eighth, the eighth and seventh seed at one point weren't even five hundred teams on the east in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> right. Like, look at the depth on the Western Conference, and the Phoenix Suns just by that alone play way more of these higher quality teams more significant than than a team like the New York Knicks who play, you know, Charlotte Hornets four times a year versus <laughs> the Phoenix Suns are playing the Clippers and the Lakers, Lakers and the Warriors four times a year. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how that doesn't come up as often when comparing teams, especially two teams off different coasts and different conferences and divisions. And just off that alone, I think the qual not only the record speaks louder, the Defensive rating. I mean, defensive rating of New York Knicks were good, but when you take both offensive rating and defensive rating, the Phoenix Suns were way better than were well, were well balanced throughout the entire year. Second seed, better wins, higher quality wins. I don't really see a strong argument for Tom Thibodeau being coach of the year. I see a strong argument for him being second place second, or third yeah. place, mm-hmm. but not actually the winner. It's, yeah. it's, it's a weird one. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad. Yeah, I agree. Like he should have been second. I, I think he's a pretty strong second, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. it is very impressive what the Knicks did. But yeah, the Phoenix Suns are just a better team, and I feel like Monty Williams is building a sustainable dynasty. Whereas I feel like Tom Thibodeau just kind of had a really good year, and I don't feel mm-hmm. like the New York Knicks are going to be any perennial contender for like a long time to come. Whereas I see the Phoenix Suns, I think. Even after Chris Paulies, I think Monty Williams is a good enough coach to keep these guys as a contending team. But yeah, it's yeah popularity contest. It it's annoying. Yeah, it totally does feel like the talent show where the the former prom king wins it, but he's not actually <laughs> the most talented guy no, that doesn't that put it, it together on the stage. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But uh, pivoting away from there, the second round, we'll break down each one of these series. Quickly here in the next over next 30 minutes of this podcast, uh, back to Jazz and Clippers. We already talked a little bit about it, but hell of a game here. Jazz taking 2-0 lead on the Clippers, protecting their home court. And now we're going back uh, to Staples Center where the Clippers will play their next two games. No Mike Conley in these last two. Man, Bojan Bogdanovic, Donovan Mitchell totally doing his thing, just putting together some insane acrobatic moves. I just still f- get impressed by this guy every time I watch him, especially in the playoffs. It's sort of crazy how he just turns it up on another gear here. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell is just playing unbelievable basketball right now. And and for the Clippers, this is Luka PTSD. Like, mm-hmm. we are reliving Luka Doncic in Donovan Mitchell. We cannot stop this guy. There's nothing we can do. We've put literally everyone on the roster on Donovan Mitchell, and he the shots that he's getting up, just sidestepping, fade away, just shot off the backboard, driving through the lane, all these just step-back three-pointers, which has become a thing now because of Luka and because of Harden. And he's, he's averaging 41 points through these first two games on 52% shooting, 45% from three. The dude came out swinging in game two. I think he had 16 points in the first quarter alone. And it just it looked like they were going to run away with him. The Clippers were able to make a pretty good comeback to make this a very good game. Um, but we have to remember this is, like you said, this is all without Mike Conley, their starting mm-hmm. point guard. Like, this is, this is pretty dangerous because when you're comparing what the Clippers went up against last series versus what they're going up against now, the Jazz are just a, such a deeper team the pieces around Donovan Mitchell are able to play, make, and create, which is what we've always asked for for this Utah team. Like They need guys that can step up and make big shots when Donovan Mitchell is getting doubled or whatever. They mm-hmm. found that in guys like Bogdanovich, uh, who's healthy this season. Uh, Joe Ingles is somehow still able to, <laughs> to play pretty good basketball. And most importantly, it's Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson had an absurd game tonight. He was making every single shot that he was taking. 
And he had he had one of those that just went off the backboard with a shot clock running down, and I'm just like, yeah, that's that's the type of game it is for Jordan Clarkson. Like the dude literally couldn't miss. He he was going point for point with Donovan Mitchell at one point, and I was just like, how are we gonna beat them if Jordan Clarkson's playing like this? Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, um, yeah. The complimentary pieces are really coming alive for Utah. Somebody else to give a shout out to Sean, and you've always been so dis- dismissive of this man is. Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal is having a career year across the board, and it continues into the playoffs. He is playing some crazy defense. He had eight points. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just such a solid piece, man. He, he I was he impressed solid. with... He plays some solid one-on-one defense with Kawhi and Paul George. What a, what a guy to have on your side. But Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. Man, Donovan Mitchell, it's crazy. I saw several times in this game, he actually split the double team, a double team that was Paul George and Kawhi. Yeah. And he found a way to split and get away from both those guys. I mean, what do you do then? You rotate over, but he still, he gets it. Once he gets yeah. to that right hand, he does some creative stuff and somehow finds the backboard and banks it in. Yeah. So that's the thing. I think, I think playing against Luca has kind of, taught the Clippers how to double team in a specific way I think we need to double Donovan Mitchell in a much different way and so mm-hmm. so what I mean by that is that Luca is an amazing playmaker Donovan right. Mitchell is not really he's a scorer like you have to be afraid of Luca getting the right pass to the right guy if you double Donovan Mitchell right when he catches the ball just get it out of his hands he's not really that assist guy that with that court vision like he knows how to get his but he doesn't average that many assists so in my mind you have to just double him right away work on your double team rotations they're gonna pass the ball around when he's able to get it out but just let anyone beat you but donovan mitchell and i feel like it's risky but that is how you're gonna have to guard him because and make make the other guys beat you because if you're gonna let donovan mitchell score 41 against you on a nightly basis like, how are you going to win? You have to let the other guys beat you. And for me, it's like, yeah, if Reggie Jackson or, or Luke Kennard, whoever's on him, like, you have to bring Kawhi or Paul George over immediately. You can't worry about the other guys as much. You have to just worry about the one guy that can beat you. Yeah, and that's that's such a perfect recipe to try to beat this team. But the counter chess move there is that the pieces on this Jazz team are built specifically to counter that chess move. Essentially, the three-point shooting, this team's the number number one three-point shooting team in the regular season. Tonight, 51% from three. That's essentially, (laughs) I mean, that's essentially how you want to try to, if you want to give yourself a shot, it's that. It's covering up the shooters, forcing them to put the ball down and play make without Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, make them play like the Utah Jazz of last year. Because if you don't, then they're just going to swing that ball around and knock it down or you got to cross your fingers that they have a bad shooting night here yeah no it's true like i i guess i'm just more willing to let the other guys shoot the threes than donovan mitchell you know no no yeah that is that is the better choice i think yeah it's like you just get it out of his hands i think the other thing too the clippers have not respected rudy gobert yeah at all and it's they went small to close the game there oh i mean so that that was okay like, they're actually boxing him out really well to get those rebounds. But, I mean, I just remember a few plays where I'd just see, like, Reggie Jackson or Terrence Mann, like, drive to the basket with, like, every intention of going head-to-head against Rudy Gobert. And then they just get completely dominated. And it's like, did you not, like, understand who this is? Like, did you not <laughs> see him waving the trophy above his head for Defensive Player of the Year before the game? Like... I see Reggie Jackson throw this dinky little lob pass to try to get it over Gobert to Kawhi Leonard in the paint, and Gobert just reaches up and snatches it. And I'm just like, who did you think that was? Like, do you really thought you could get a lob pass over Rudy Gobert like that? Like, I I was just dumbfounded at the lack of respect that the Clippers showed for Gobert in the paint, how often they attacked him, when they should be trying to space the floor around the three-point line to get him out of the paint. That's what they should be doing, but they seem to be totally content going head on with him, which is mm-hmm. only going to end with them losing. Right. I think 
maybe one part of it you're thinking is maybe attack him, try to get him into foul trouble. But yeah, to your point, like Rudy Gobert has been in this in this game for a long time now, and mm-hmm. he's also just gotten signif- uh, incrementally better every year, and he's got his third Defensive Player of the Year. I think a lot of people were sort of like, oh, wow, I guess we have to give it to him again. But yeah. I mean, he, it's like well deserved. He oh, so, he totally, was totally. He was he's a destructor out there, and uh, on the score on the offensive end, four for five. But I mean, not a huge impact. But still, like every time he does score, it's a it's an open dunk uh, mm-hmm. with the Utah Jazz finding him and rotating over and finding him down there. Yeah. So I mean, they have to show some more respect for him in Game Three if they want to win. And again, we got to make some roster s- swaps. Tyloo, he mm-hmm. keeps trying to force Patrick Beverly into action, yeah, and it's resulted in nothing. He again, I don't think he's made a single field goal through these first two games. Why are you not playing playoff Rondo? Mm-hmm. How are you not playing playoff Rondo? I think it makes a lot of sense to start Reggie Jackson, but what are you doing playing Patrick Beverly over Rajon Rondo? Why did you? No turns, man. No, no turns, yeah, man. Tonight turns, either, man. And that's okay, you know. I can get that because they're playing Paul George forty-four minutes. You know, like there's there was not a lot of minutes for the reserves. You gotta get Patrick Beverly out of this lineup and give those minutes to Rondo. You got to stop starting Marcus Morris. It's time to give up on Marcus Morris. This dude is a liability on both ends of the floor. If he's not making baskets. He's going to lose you the game because he's not giving you much on defense either. There was multiple plays where he had open three-point shots, just totally bricked him. And then back on defense, he can't stay in front of a guy. Like, he just allows them to pass him and just hopes the help comes. Like, that is the way he's been playing defense. You have to play Nicholas Batum over him. You have to. Play him in the starting lineup. If you're so in love with Marcus Morris, you can play him 20 minutes off the bench but you, you have to swap those roles because Nick Batum's actually out there playing great defense and making winning plays. Marcus Morris just do- looks lost out there. So you got you got to replace Pat Bev with Rondo. You got to swap Marcus Morris and Nick Batum's roles. Yeah, and that's what's been interesting about the last two games is it feels like Utah is rolling with their guys and they're sticking to their rotation. And to their credit, it's working Whereas on the other side with the Clippers, Tyron Liu is sort of swapping pieces, trying to still figure something out. No Rondo yeah. tonight. Terrence Mann, only one minute. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins getting some time. Uh, Zubak getting not very much time. It sort of feels like the, the guys that are, the minutes that guys are getting are, are changing here the last two games. And I wonder what that means for, for game three here for Tyron Liu, who he's rolling with. Yeah, I, I really want to see a starting lineup change with, with Marcus Morris and Nick Batum. I think that needs to happen. And, mm-hmm. and man, if we see Pat Bev hit the floor in Game 3, I'm not happy about it. I I, I like Pat Bev as a, as a player and as a person. He's just not ready this year. I, I mean, I, t- I mentioned this last series. It's like, we can't play Patrick Beverly in the playoffs. He just needs to come back next season. Yeah, and that might have been the rotation there that ultimately was that little bit of a push to get the Clippers back in the series is they stopped going to Pat Beverly on Luca. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. It, when, it took him two games to figure out why, why right. do we need two games to figure it out again? It's not mm-hmm. like he's played anymore. Like you can't afford to condition this guy in the middle of a playoff series. It's ridiculous. Oh, for four, he's just going out there and collecting fouls, putting the lake, putting the Clippers closer to the limit when he's out <laughs> yeah. there. So get him out of there. Ugh. Um, Ultimately, what do you what are we thinking for this series right now, Sean? I want to see the changes happen for Game Three, and if I do, I'll be happy. It's exactly the same narrative as as the Dallas series. It, this is we we had the same exact conversation. I feel uh, when they went down two zero to to the Mavs, and I was like, you know what? I don't think we're out of it, but we need to make these changes, or else it's over. Yeah, I, I doubted the Clippers last round, and they came back, won it in seven games. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't I have still, it in you again, huh? <laughs> I, I still see this going very likely to seven games at the very least six. It's not over in five. No. I'm going to still, but I think I'm going to still take the Jazz in seven, Sean. I'm sorry. Nah. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I'm used to not having a lot of people on the bandwagon. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. Suns. 
Suns up 2-0 against the Nuggets. Are the Suns the real deal? This one, I'm a little surprised. I thought the Nuggets, not not just the fact that it's 2-0, but just the the way it's been going. This Clipper-Jazz game series has been punch for punch. This one, not so much. The Suns blowing out the Nuggets in game two. Very reminiscent of the game versus the Lakers. Man, the Suns are just putting in their style and taking control of the game. And the scarier thing for the Nuggets is Chris Paul actually looking completely healthy, or at least healthier in this game. 15 points, 15 assists, zero turnovers in game two. We got 36-year-old Chris Paul out here just balling up. Uh, DeAndre Aiden's still doing his thing. Devin Booker's still doing his thing. And you got the bench, the the role players from the Phoenix Suns emerging. Mikkel Bridges campaign campaign back on. Jay Crowder finding his three-point shot again. DeAndre Aiden, man, 16 points on 75% shooting in the playoffs so far. Give this man his respect right now. (laughs) This guy is... We're talking top 25 player territory here next year for him. If he keeps this up, maybe in the conversation for top five, maybe top three big men. Hot take right there. Yeah, that's a hot (laughs) take, but he is just consistently doing it. Doesn't matter what, who he's seeing in front of him. Davis, Drummond, Jokic, uh, the Suns 2-0 right here. Sean, what are your thoughts on this series? I mean, they took care of business, right? That's Mm -hmm. what you want to do as the home team. So if they are able to win one of these in Denver, it's, it's pretty much over. I I don't see the nuggets being able to, to win uh, against what they're putting out there right now. It it does look, yeah, it is very different from the Utah Clippers series where these have been close games. This, this was just a beat down, a complete beat down. I mean, they even had Will Barton come back in game two. And that's just an extra guy you can bring off the bench for some depth and, it did not do anything at all. Um, it actually, they even did worse. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I am a big fan of Mikal Bridges. I mm-hmm. I am really liking what I'm seeing from this young guy. I mean, really, even it just says what the fourth option on this team. He but he's been able to carve out the role so well for himself, and he's just so efficient. I mean, this whole team has been so efficient. You gotta, I mean, you gotta hand it to Chris Paul. I mean, this was looking very bleak. After game three of that Suns Lakers series, you're like, oh well, there's another Chris Paul curse, but he's he's healed beyond anyone's apprehension of it. And this is what we wanted to see from the Phoenix Suns: is they're fully healthy. What can they do? And they're looking as dominant as the Brooklyn Nets, honestly. Yeah, in the East, and it it's shaping up to look like Suns Nets at this point. If I had to pick favorites. Uh, and obviously, that's a lot of that's just based on where they are as far as the series goes. But I mean, Denver is just—they just don't look like the same team. I mean, it was so competitive, and all the pieces looked like they were really coming together for them in in the first series against Portland. I mean, you, you had Austin Rivers actually contributing positive basketball. Michael Porter Jr. was shooting the lights out, but now now we're actually finding out he's maybe experiencing some back tightness which limited him in game two and he shot what three of 13 from the floor for 11 points. That is very, very concerning because I mean the back injury was obviously the thing that made him slide so far in the draft in the first place. And if that's re aggravated, I'm sure Denver's worried about his long terms. Like, Oh man, if like, if this came back out of nowhere, like, is, is how is this going to affect our future like they're probably thinking about that too it's like do, should we pull him out of one of these games to give him rest and you can't really afford to do that because then now your your second scoring options Aaron Gordon <laughs> <laughs> we already know what his offensive game is like so it yeah it's very concerning I mean Austin Rivers ain't knocking down the shots I mean Monty Morris looked like he was gonna be just a breakout player in this series honestly yeah. for them and he hasn't contributed much of anything so it's really and and Aiden's done a great job on Jokic on that end too. I mean, let's let's give him credit there. I mean, Jokic is still putting up pretty good numbers. I mean, game two was good numbers despite the blowout. Uh, game one though, he he looked like pretty. You know, he only looked like a good player, not an amazing player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at the Phoenix Suns, all starters and double figures. Denver Nuggets, only two starters and two players off the bench, and much of that 
was due to garbage time, you could say here. Um, not much fight here from the Denver Nuggets. If Michael Porter Jr. has that back tightness, I think the series is almost pretty much over mm. unless Aaron Gordon can pull something out. But so far, three for seven last game, only seven shot attempts, 0 for one from the three-point line. I don't... He hasn't shown signs of being a guy who can offensively take load no. for this team, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what Mike Malone could possibly come up with here, but there the heart was taken out of the chest of this team, and the Phoenix Suns just look loaded with firepower. Dario Saric got in getting some time, too. We didn't really see him much in the Lakers series, but here it was three for six. Um, and again, Mikel Bridges... He had some good games with the Lakers, but not quite the way he has here. So coming together, Jay Crowder as well, three for four from three-point range, 47% as a team in this last game. So maybe going back, going out to Denver might help. You got the fans out there, something that the Suns didn't quite come across at Staples Center where the stadium was a little quieter. Um, So, I mean... That might only buy them a game, but ultimately <laughs> this feels like this series is about to be over in five. Yeah, it's just so tough, right? Because I don't really know what the Nuggets could do differently with their lineup. Like like the Clippers, Like I, I feel like there's a pretty clear thing you can do with the substitutions. Like The only thing I could think to, for them to do is, is take Austin Rivers out of the starting lineup and start Monty Morris. Because I just feel like you need a little more firepower, especially if Michael Porter Jr. is hurt. I feel like Monty Morris is the more consistent player to put out there to get you a bucket than Austin Rivers at this point in both their careers. I I think you can't rely too much on what Austin Rivers was giving you in the Portland series. And we have to remember, this is a guy that was on his couch a few months ago, just not even playing for an NBA team. And he he had some good games against Portland, but I don't think that's something you can really rely on. While Monty Morris has been there the whole season, and he he's been a part of this Denver team for a while now, so I think that's at least one switch you can make. But there's really, I mean, there, there's no one you could really put in there where you're like, yeah, this is gonna confidently get me there. Like Jokic just has to take over. He he yeah. has to. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things missing here. For I mean. Obviously, there's a lot of things missing here to get to have gotten beat down the way you have the last two games. But the offensive load is one thing. The other is just on the defensive side. They just they really needed Will Barton back to be able to have a, just another pro, good perimeter defender out there, and they got him. But didn't wasn't really much of a difference maker. Do you have enough time for him to get his legs back under him and get Michael Porter Jr. healthy as well uh, to just kind of have a body that can actually keep up with Devin Booker? That might be a hope, but. I just don't really see it happening with Will Barton. Monte Morris, maybe, but it's tough. I mean, you stop Devin Booker. You still got Chris Paul. You still got DeAndre Aiden down low. You got to figure out a way to take two out of those guys out of out of the picture and, put to, and then put more pressure on the role players. It's essentially how the Lakers managed to get a couple wins against this team is they managed to shut to really make Devin Booker's life hard and force Jay Crowder and some of these other dudes into shots that they didn't knock him down. And that was the only way the Lakers took those couple wins. And Chris Paul was hurt. And Chris Paul was hurt too. <laughs> so that was a way to take two out of the three out. I mean, DeAndre, DeAndre Aiden was balling out every single game, but Devin yeah. Booker had a couple rough ones. Chris Paul had his hurt game. That's the only way the Denver Nuggets can do it. And I just don't think they have the personnel to do it. So yeah. And Michael Porter Jr. on on, on the co- on the side of the coin, on talking about the offensive side, Jokic can do all his his thing and try to keep it close, but they they don't have a second scoring option without Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> it's just not there. Yeah, it's hard. It's I tough. see it hard. It's tough. I mean, man, you just wonder what this team would look like with Jamal Murray, right? Right. Exactly. It's Jamal Murray would difference. be your guy. Yeah, it, it might. It's just like a wait till next year and see kind of thing at this point i mean i i see this ending in five yeah i i have it as five as well the denver crowd will get him one win but outside of that i think the just the firepower from those three guys and if these role players continue shooting like they have been and they have and they have been good all regular season so i don't think there's really much reason to think that they'll cool off maybe one game maybe one game but 
that's they're like not the one even win I'll give them themselves. Like they all rested game two because there's a blowout. Right. So, yep, five games. It's over, Denver. I'm sorry. Maybe yeah. next year for the MVP. <laughs> but uh, moving on to the Eastern Conference, Nets up two one against the Bucks. The Bucks barely getting a win mm. tonight. Uh, this is another one, man, where like the Nets really gave the Bucks a beatdown. They came back home. They rode the home crowd, and I think the Bucks managed to get themselves a win. But I see this playing out the exact same way. I, I see the Denver Suns series playing out where the home crowd gets helps get them a win. Role players have a, a rough going. But ultimately, the talent of the Nets with Durant just playing like the best player in the world right now, he seems totally unstoppable, is going to be too much. Giannis does not I mean he's stu- he's stuffing the stat line but man Giannis just seems like he's figured out like the Nets have him figured out it yeah. totally feels that way and I-, I see it going five games Sean I don't know well, let's see what you're you got any counter arguments uh, here it's so tough it, I mean they the Bucks played a very their style game tonight I remember I I didn't actually get to watch most of this game I, I didn't catch the final four minutes of it um, but when I when I got home, I checked the box score and it said seventy six seventy six. Yes. I'm like, oh, it must be like close to the end of the third. It was it close was to the end of the fourth. I was, I was like, wait, what? It's seventy six seventy six. I think at the like the final score of the Nets Bucks wasn't even the the third quarter score of the Clippers Jazz game. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but that the last three minutes, man. Speaking about Kevin Durant. That guy played like a man possessed. Like they yep. could not stop. Like Chris, it was Chris Middleton versus Durant at the end, which is interesting because you said they figured out Giannis. That just seems like he's not even looking to get his own. Like he's deferring to Middleton to be the yeah. closer. It was it was Middleton four possessions in a row, and, and he did very well. I mean, he he made three or four shots. Kevin Durant made three or three shots on his end. Is going back and forth, and then the Bucks were just able to muster up a couple stops at the end to to close it out. Uh, Holiday had a great move to the basket that, that was like kind of like the dagger layup for them. Uh, really good performance um, from from Giannis and Middleton in this game. Um, Holiday struggled a little bit, but it is concerning that you have a two time MVP, just just one two MVPs by the way, considered at one point like the best player in the world probably the year before and he's deferring to Middleton who is maybe a top 20 player that is yeah. very concerning I yeah it is and that's and I see that as like something that he has to do because I feel like he's figured out like I feel like the Nets are have figured him out they wall him up and they make it really hard for him to drive and he just cannot get in there get a good look without without it somehow involving drew holiday and chris middleton which makes sense right it it's at the end of the day it is a team game um but one for eight from the three-point line for Giannis, four for nine from the free throw line 14 for 31 from inside but why is he shooting eight threes yeah, and he's the reason he's shooting these threes is because the Nets defense is just walling him up, walling him up and not letting him get the lanes that the drives that he's looking for and ends up having to throw the ball back out to Middleton and and Drew Holiday and hope they create something for him. So, it's tough to have a weapon like Giannis and just sort of not really use him to his full capacity in a playoff series and yeah. The Nets just have the I mean with Durant they don't even really have anybody that I could that that stands out as like a defensive presence, and somehow they figured out Jan, how to slow down Giannis, which Blake seems Griffin crazy is, to me. Yeah, somehow Blake Griffin is like doing a good job defending Giannis, which right? I wouldn't have guessed in a million years that that was the solution because going into the series, I was thinking like, yeah, how are they going to stop Giannis? Like, it's not going to be KD. It's hell hell not going to be DeAndre Jordan. No but I way. guess it's Blake Griffin. I, I mean, this dude scored 18 and four, had 14 rebounds in game one. Like, what? Blake Griffin <laughs> can still do that? He's been playing very well for them. It, it's very annoying. <laughs> but, yeah, like, Blake Griffin ended up being a big piece of this. And, uh, I mean, Kevin Durant is playing great defense as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, yeah, Giannis is just not – he's not enough of a 
multi-dimensional player yet. He he's got a lot to work on still. Yeah, it, it's pretty rough because I feel like in the next few years, or not that I feel like this is going to happen, but it could happen where we look back and we're like, how the heck did that guy get two MVPs? <laughs> if we see Giannis, well, the numbers, just ne- man, it's all yeah. numbers. Like I almost wonder how padded those numbers were those years. I don't know. We probably take like deep yeah. analysis also, or something. His defense is very good. He's a very good defensive player. Yeah, I mean, he's still a really good player. I mean, he's still like a yeah. top five player in the world for sure. But it's just rough to see him not be able to sort of bring that into a playoff series. And I think he's not going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I don't think he's going to make it to an Eastern Conference Finals until he's the second best player on a team, honestly. That's crazy. I, it's a hot take, I just don't but see I do see could, that. How could you get a guy that's better than Giannis, though? Like, how would you even get him? Like, he you would have to play. paying Giannis the mega, like he would have mega to, max. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he's as... He, I can't believe I'm about to say this. Maybe he's just <laughs> not as good as we think he is. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> like, maybe he really is... Like, I still want to say he's a top five player in the world, but maybe he's not. Maybe he mm. is only just, like, a top five, and he needs to be paired up with, like, a Damian Leonard and, or, or a Steph Curry. And... Those guys are ultimately really the better player, despite not being the seventh footer on the team. That is right. That's what it feels like to me right now. Like it really does feel like it feels like if Giannis is the number one option on this team, they're going to get swept. Like if Chris Middleton and Drew <laughs> yeah, Holiday need to step the game up for him. Yeah, yeah, it like- <laughs> really does feel like that. Like they need to be the way the guys having the big games, and Giannis is sort of just there as the second option. Like Man. it's crazy, but. Um, I really did feel that way yeah, watching this game it's today. It's not the first time I've heard somebody say that. I'll I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's just like when you have a guy that he, he doesn't have multi dimensions to his game. It, it's just it makes it hard to make the argument that he can be a top five player. It's like if you can't score from multiple areas of the floor, that's really tough. Uh, I thought he was getting there. I really did. I thought he had improved his shot. It's very clear that he's still not comfortable with his jump shot and on the other end you got plenty of guys that are very comfortable with their jump shots um i i guess the question for me is they, they've been playing a lot of pj tucker too yeah and a lot of pj tucker yeah they, they have a lot of pj tucker and I, I know a lot of that is predicated by dante DiVincenzo being out of the lineup they needed some guy to go in the starting lineup they thought he'd match up well against kevin durant is he actually matching up well against kevin durant I don't know about that. <laughs> I watched this guy guard Kevin Durant, and it looked like Patrick Beverly guarding Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, it's tough to ask anybody to guard Kevin Durant, but P.J. Tucker out there, and that's sort of the story, too, with this Milwaukee team is it shot creation is just not – it's there, but a lot of these guys are also just not knocking them down. Not much production coming from the role play, from the bench here for the, for the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Nets – they're getting getting heroics from Bruce Brown and mm-hmm. Andrew Shamit and Nick Claxton just going out there giving them gritty defensive minutes. Um, Joe Harris is Joe Harris. He goes hot and cold. He was one for eleven yeah. tonight, but you know they I mean, a couple of those go in and they win this game. But you know the the Bucks are just having a hard time. Like Bobby Port is two for three. Bob Pat Cunnington one for two. Um, Drew Forbes, oh for four. Drew Holiday too. Like where, like no one's really stepping up. And and again to that same point of Giannis, like we they this team desperately needs two other dudes to just really step up and uh, one guy be the number one option. Giannis be the sandwich in the middle, and some other guy be the third guy. Because Giannis needs to stick to Durant. Yeah, that on the defensive end, Giannis needs to stick to Durant. That's the only way that they have a chance. PJ Tucker is not going to do it. You're wasting Giannis on defense if he's guarding anybody else. He has mm-hmm. to be on Durant. It, it, it's the only way. Yeah. And maybe this game was a blueprint for them to follow moving forward where they just play a gritty game, slow it down, and go to Chris Middleton. Yep. And maybe they can take an- get another win. But mm-hmm. I-, I also find that hard to believe. This Nets team seems like so high-powered on high powered offense i don't see they shot 25 percent from three eight for 32 36 percent from the field 
and they only lost by three points. Um, so granted, the Bucks were also almost as bad. So this was just a bad game all around. So I don't. I find it hard to believe the Nets can are going to repeat a performance like this. So I'm still saying five games in five games the Nets win. But maybe the Bucks have a blueprint to follow to extend this to yeah. six. Um, I still I still think the Bucks can do it, especially if James Harden continues to sit. If James Harden comes back at this point, I don't think the Bucks can do it. But he put Giannis on Durant. I really think that helps slow him down. And then Drew Holiday on Kyrie. That that should be good enough. I really think it should. On paper, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like they're going to ride P.J. Tucker until they get ousted from the series. <laughs> Just need a couple corner threes from PJ Tucker, and that could yeah, save you. Yeah, just have him. Yeah, stand in the corner, and then just stick to Joe Harris like glue on defense. Like he should to, put him on Joe Harris. Like he's not a Kevin Durant defender. I don't care what his pride says. Yeah. So you still have the Bucks winning, or do you have? Them I think just they push? can win. I really think they do. I think they have a cool. shot as long as Harden keeps riding the bench. I still so think you, it's pretty even. What do you think, Bucks and six? No seven. seven. Seven? Seven? Yeah, totally. Ooh. That's a hot take. It, it's hot, but like they have the guys. They have the guys to match up. They should. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Sixers, Hawks, tied 1 1. Shocking. Surprising one. Surprising <laughs> one that Trey Young and those Hawks took game one, but game two, so in the fourth quarter, I think the 76ers figured out who they were and ended up taking that game two in convincing fashion. But what's close for much of that game, much of that game was back and forth. And I think 76er fans were a little bit stunned when watching that game. The stadium went complete silence in that third quarter while they were trading buckets. But luckily for the 76ers, they they pulled out. They pulled away in the fourth quarter there and got a convincing win. But maybe a little troubling here as you're heading out to Atlanta that the Hawks could steal a game here. It's another one. Nah. Uh, yeah. Oh, is, is that all you're afraid of? Is losing one more game? <laughs> Potentially, but I. Okay. Yeah, I, I think in the fourth <laughs> quarter though, we saw the 76ers woke up a little bit, and and they got Joel Embiid back for game two too, which is huge. Um. So, yeah, I still think the 76ers. This is a series. There's, they're yeah. gonna ultimately take this. Right. I mean, Embiid being back and looking the way he does, it, it's mm-hmm. super encouraging. I mean, the dude's averaging 39 and a half points a game this series, like. Uh, with an apparent meniscus tear must be the yeah. smallest tear known to man because he looks like he's totally fine but yeah. it's really good to see because i would have been really bummed if the sixers didn't get their shot this year at least with a fully healthy squad um but yeah the hawks are fighting man this is a gritty team and to go in game one against the, the 76ers and just take it to them and that Trey Young is special, dude. This yeah. guy, this guy was destined for playoff basketball. I mean, he put thirty-five points and ten assists in that game one. And Kevin Horder is apparently <laughs> also here for the moment. The guy's averaging seventeen and a half off the bench so far this series, fourteen and nineteen shooting. And this yeah. guy, I think he went eight for eight in game two before he even missed a shot. So they're getting great contributions. Um, but for for the Sixers. I have to think like you have to get Ben Simmons more involved. This is your, I mean, Tobias Harris has kind of taken over as the second best player on this team. It seems to me, which is fine. I think Tobias Harris is a great player, but Ben Simmons, I think he shot three times in game two. He shot three times. And then the first game, he was seven for seven from the floor. And it was probably mostly dunks and layups. But he didn't miss a single shot. You have to think this guy could probably get better looks and more baskets. I don't. I don't understand how he's getting so little shot. I think Seth Curry's getting way more looks than he is even. Yeah, I. I, I don't. I, it's Ben Simmons is such an interesting character to me. Um, <laughs> and one point it's like he is a huge impact, and then at other points he's not. Um, so. Not sure what to sometimes think about him, but on the point of Kevin Huter and having the game he's been having, one thing to call out here is also DeAndre Hunter is out for the for the Atlanta yeah, Hawks that's with surgery. So there's a lot of opportunity here to go around for this squad. But 
Yeah, back to Ben Simmons, two for three in this last game. You look at Tobias Harris going 11 for 19, Joel Embiid 13 for 25, Seth Curry 8 for 13. I'll t- yeah, I'm not entirely sure what happened to this man for, for some four <laughs> and seven uh, stat line. Um, I don't know, but if I mean, if you're thinking about the Nets and just thinking ahead, you got to figure it out here in this series and put together some poor, some sort of dominating performance just to get some momentum going for you uh, into into the next series. And for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, I mean, good, good game, but I just don't really see much happening here for them to to try to steal a win. Um, I think it's all pretty much, but wrapped up for the seventy sixers. I, I think, I think game game three will be exciting in terms of the crowd being behind them. There's a chance it's close, uh, and it'll probably come down to a couple possessions at the end. But ultimately, I think game four goes to seventy sixers, and if it goes to five games, it's five. Fifth game is taken by the seventy sixers, so. Five games, it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think they'll win the next three. I, I even with Atlanta having the next two home games, I don't think that's really going to matter that much. I think the Sixers look like they're clicking exactly how they want to, and that's not going to matter um, mm-hmm. for the Hawks. Like they're they're just they don't have a shot anymore. I mean, they, they would have if Embiid wasn't playing, but this dude is just. He's on another planet right now. Capella is completely outmatched down there. It's, yeah. it's really sad to see because uh, he was doing so great against Julius Randle. Uh, you're in a whole nother league now, man. <laughs> yeah, now you're going up against the second best big man in the league now, Jokic mm-hmm. number one. And yep. beat so much more of a that physical, close to the basket score, though, than, than Jokic. So, yeah, Clint Capella is going up against... His matchup, the biggest matchup probably of his career so far in the playoffs, so and not doing super well against it. Um yeah, I mean on the on the Hawks side, you got John Collins doing his thing, Trey Young doing his thing, Bogdanovic and Galnari, but there's just not enough firepower on this squad to I mean, they to have really, a lot of shooters. They do. Um but yeah, I'm not, not really they're just seeing not there it. yet. I mean, the, the yeah. talent level. It's like I'm taking Tobias Harris over anyone besides Trey Young on the Hawks. Mm-hmm. I'm probably taking Ben Simmons, honestly, still over anyone else on the Hawks. So it, it's just yeah, the the upper level talent is just it, it's too hard to beat. I think for the Hawks, I, I'm really stoked that they got a win and a big one in Philly. But I just yeah, I think now that they got all the guys back and everyone's looking good it's just it looks pretty tough it's a pretty tough path for them to get another <laughs> victory yeah they're just gonna need the home crowd there um that's all i gotta say honestly for the yeah. series not uh, much to yeah. add here <laughs> no definitely not yeah well final thoughts here to close off the podcast we gotta say goodbye to a couple coaches the end of the road has come for them mm-hmm. terry stotts out as the blazers coach uh Nate Bjorkin out in Indiana, Steve Clifford out in Orlando, and obviously Brad Stevens. We've talked about it before. Moving on to the presidential role, that makes it that there are now four coaching vacancies in the NBA so far. Um, out of Steve Clifford, Nate Bjorkin, and Terry Stotts, any surprises here, Sean, for you? I am – so I'll, I'll order them. Steve Clifford is not the least is the least surprising. <laughs> um, Brad Stevens doesn't really count. I want to include him. Um, and then Terry Stotts. And I think Nate Bjorkern is actually the most surprising for me because you brought in this guy. He's a new, brand new coach, and you give him this this roster, and they do pretty well to start the season. And then you have the Cole Karras Lavert trade for Oralipo. And then the whole Karis Levert injury stuff, and then Brogdon gets hurt, and then Levert comes back, and then Levert gets hurt, and then Miles Turner's out for the season, and mm-hmm. TJ Warren hasn't been there the entire dang time. Yeah. And, and then what do you expect this guy to do? You know, like <laughs> these are key pieces you're missing in all all parts of the roster. They they didn't never they didn't play a single game with all these guys healthy. So. I mean, I guess it's surprising in that way where it's like, I feel like it's pretty unfair to him that all these injuries happen and you fire him for that. But 
apparently there was other locker room issues with some of the players having disagreements with him and and some of the other coaching staff so i think they just i don't know chalked it up to a failed experiment like sorry the players just don't like you (laughs) and so yeah he's out yeah it's it's kind of crazy um i feel like he didn't really get a a fair shot at it you know at least terry stotts had his chances in the playoffs at least you know you gave steve clifford a few years to make (laughs) anything relevant in orlando but yeah nate bjorkren one and done man that's brutal yeah i think watching the season you're i feel i mean i watched a couple pacer games and kept up with some of these players so i feel like i'm not surprised at the same time i am surprised for those reasons that you said because so much was working against them but this team just sort of felt underwhelming for so much of this year I was a big Indiana believer. I thought they'd be basically where the New York Knicks were to close out the year. A fourth seed, first round fighter in the first round. I didn't really think they had a chance of doing anything else outside of just making it to the second round. But I thought they had they have nice pieces, and they still do. So whoever comes in here, if this team is healthy, they're going to automatically look better by default just because I think this team is still just nice pieces and they're just going to put it together way better than this because this year this was one of those teams that i think did not want to go to the play in tournament like they didn't (laughs) look like they wanted to suit up to play one more game yeah on national tv (laughs) they look like they were ready for this season to be over like two weeks before three weeks before it actually was yeah i I, yeah i I think them sliding to where they did i mean getting passed by the wizards in the seating and having to play two play-in games to even make the playoffs yeah i think they just kind of were unmotivated but i mean the roster looks really good on paper yeah for whoever coaches them next year i mean brogdon lavert warren if he can come back healthy next year along with sabonis and and miles turner who, who was also hurt that's a great starting five that's a yep. starting five that's as deep as any. Um, you really have no weaknesses there. So if they can come back next year, they they will insert themselves into that picture. Um, but yeah, the coaching change will be interesting. Yeah, exactly. Terry Stotts out as Blazers coach. I mean, it kind of sucks because I think he's actually yep. still a good coach. In fact, I think he should take the Indiana job. I think he'd be <laughs> he'd be great there. Yeah, he might. Yeah, he might. Yeah, so when what the Blazers are going to do, that's a big question mark. I don't think it's as simple as a filling out the next coaching coaching head coach. I think they're going to there's probably going to be a lot of uh roster changes here and I think the organization's got to look at look in the mirror pretty, you know, because for one big thing to call out here is the Blazers have been over the salary cap for a number of years now and have paid that luxury tax and they'll continue. The to only do thing so. that yeah, and do they want, yeah, the question is, do they want to continue to do so or, or do they want to limit that a li- just a bit or completely overhaul this whole thing, get under the salary cap for a couple of years and save the, the franchise a couple of dollars or ownership a couple of dollars? I don't know. You've you've had this roster now for a couple of years, again, play, paid into the luxury tax and all you have to show for it is a, you had that one Western, had conference, Western, conference, Western conference Yeah. Right. This year, I, I bet you were hoping... I mean, I thought they had a chance to go into the second round at least having the full roster back, but it just wasn't enough, and you go down to a depl- you go down to an injury-ravaged Nuggets, Nuggets team. team yeah. So it's a bit rough there. So a lot of question marks for this franchise. We'll see those play out in the summer. Yeah, should be a very interesting offseason for Portland, how much they hit the panic button. Yeah, I, I totally, fully, do honestly do expect this franchise to to just kind of blow it up a little bit. Really? Like Damian yeah. Lillard trade blow up? Or what are we talking? I'm talking like everybody gets traded. Damian Lillard possibly gets moved. But I definitely wow. think Nurkic is not coming back, and I do see CJ getting moved. I think this Dang. franchise is going uh, going to Oof. try to save some cash and go back under the salary cap. Like we're, I think we're seeing... <laughs> Total rebuild. Yeah. I think, yeah, we're going. We're going to see total 2012 Lakers or 2014 Lakers. Holy cow! Re- That's so mode. hard to say when you have guys like Lillard and McCollum already. Like, yeah, you know how long it's going to take you to get those guy kind of guys back. You know, like that's just that just seems like an impossible decision to make. I think it's gonna. I think the NBA is going to look a little different after next summer with 
in terms oh, of team man. for teams like can, can, like can we pair Blazers. up Dame and Giannis? Can we make it happen? <laughs> that I think that needs to happen. My two teams are going to tank next year: Blazers and Boston. Whoa. It's going to happen. <laughs> man, that would be nuts. That would be nuts, yeah. dude. I'm I'm all for it, but I just whew, if that happens, I'm I'm out, man. I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks, everybody. Don't forget to tune in week in and week out. We'll continue breaking down the playoffs here on the Second Stringers NBA podcast. Yes, sir. Have a good week, everyone.